Looking to stand out from the pack at your first job? When you earn a master's in management from Georgetown, you'll gain the skills employers value most, elevating your career prospects for years to come. Get started at choosegeorgetown.com slash MIM. Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the faculty chair of autonomous vehicle engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hi, Fred. We are joined this week by Bern Grush, a transportation demand management and geographic systems entrepreneur, consultant, speaker, and writer. He is co-author of a newly published book titled The End of Driving, Transportation Systems and Public Policy Planning for Autonomous Vehicles. Thanks for joining us, Bern. Well, thank you. Very happy to be here. Alan spoke about the book in our last podcast, and having you on is just great. There are many areas you dive into in the book. Among them is the societal transition from buying cars to buying rides. And as you point out, uh, that won't necessarily be an easy transition. Tell us a little more. Well, there, there's, there's actually a couple of transitions. One is just the transition to automation, which is something of a step. I think that's a much smaller step than the actual step of not owning them. We have 100 years of experience with owning a vehicle. There's a lot of things about owning a vehicle other than the simple fact of going from A to B. There's all sorts of social components and convenience components and reliability components and so on that we've really become accustomed to. So that change is, I think, quite a larger change than the change to automation itself. And I think that's going to uh, surprise us in how rapidly we move from what are now massive fleets of 70, 70 to 80% of the traffic on the road, but privately held personal vehicles that are just used, you know, just a family vehicle to those uh, presumed a taxis or robo taxis, which could do eight to 10 to 12 times more work each if they were shared in an appropriate way and so forth. So I think it's that change that we're looking for. Certainly I'm hoping for, and I, and I know that many of us are, I think that changes is a societal change, not just a technology change. And I think that will be more difficult than we realize. Alan, that's something uh, you you advocate pretty much on every podcast. Uh, yes. Vernon uh, and I see, I think, eye to eye on these things. And I agree, it's, it's not a, a trivial thing, but uh, basically us uh, having a vehicle basically attached at our hip and using that to get around by ourselves, uh, as opposed to um, the way we use elevators. And I use the elevator analogy uh, all the time. The way we go up and down buildings is completely different uh, than we uh, uh, go uh, uh, across cities. Uh, and to make the way that we go up and down buildings to be similar to the, uh, to the way that we'll then be going uh, across cities um, is uh, is a major uh, change, but I think that um, I'm optimistic if we do it right, and I think there's a lot that we can do to make sure that it, it moves to that as opposed to something else. Yeah, no, doing it right is really critical. There's a lot of things that need to be in place for people to abandon their own vehicles. So as an example, robo-taxi systems that we have already and in the, in the, they're starting to roll out in t- in tens and twenties and they will soon be hundreds uh in a few in a few cities in the south um those will be um uh, 
constrained to how far they can go and where they can go. It's not a matter of the distance. It's a matter that they're sort of geofenced in a certain area where the roads are mapped appropriately and so on. And those fleets have to be watched over. I mean, they have to be monitored and watched over and so forth. And until those fleets can allow you to take a, a, a trip two or three cities away or to the next state and that sort of thing, uh, that's going to be a constraint. So I'm going to want to hold on to my personal vehicle until I know I can get absolutely anywhere. And I won't be able to get absolutely anywhere until level five comes up and when a level five robo taxi is available, whenever that is, whether that's 2050 or 2060, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pessimist about how soon we'll get the level five. But um, I think many, many people will be willing to give a car, uh, their personal vehicle then. But right now, when it's constrained, spatially constrained, it's, it's, you know, it's better than the bus, but it's not still not as good as, you know, having your own. So that's, that's the holdup, I think. Yes, it is, but I don't, uh, I think we'll still have our personal vehicles. The issue is, is when are we ever going to take them out of the driveway or out of the, uh, out of the garage? And so uh, today uh, we take them out of the garage every day. Uh, soon, if this is, a, uh, but as, as has happened to me, uh, um, I don't think I'm going to drive my car to Newark Airport ever again. Uh, simply because now I have Uber Lyft to take me, and my goodness, uh, infinitely better than me driving my own car. And so, uh, you know, absolutely so, agree. So there will be those those aspects of it. And um, and go ahead, Bird. Yeah, no, I agree. I think what we'll see is we're going to see, I, I don't know what the average household has 2.1 or 2.2 cars, whatever that number is. I think we will see the average household car ownership drop from whatever that number is to 1.8, 1.6, 1.3. At some point, the, the average household ownership will hit one, and I think it will continue to, to go lower. But the ideal number, um, and I'm, I'm, here's why I'm picking this, the goal that my co-author John Niles and I set was what fleet size would we have to have? What, what would we have to do to have the same fleet size in 2050 when we're on the order of three and four times more passenger miles traveled? What fleet size, what, what would we have to do to have the same fleet size then as we have now? And we, we would need to have about 80% of trips in robo-taxis in order to achieve that. That's not a, that's not a, um, a prediction. It's just, it's just an answer to the question, what has to happen in order for us to have, to, to not grow our fleet so that our, worldwide 2050 fleet is not bigger than the current worldwide fleet today and yeah. that's an 80 percent robot that's 80 percent robo taxi so you know that means that the average car average family is holding 0.2 cars instead of 2.2 cars it's a big change you think this is going to happen in other countries before it happens here because of just the the nature of the of the way things are being adapted i think so i think that uh, for example, uh, first of all, China is already below 0.2 uh, ownership. In, in America, we're at 0.8 per person, 0.8 vehicles. Uh, so, uh, and they're growing. Uh, the Chinese families are, are, are gaining in proportion of cars per family, but that will plateau there sooner. I mean, so we have to turn back from 0.8 all the way down to 0.4, 0.2. Again, and that's, in my opinion, 30, 40, 50 years to, to make that change. But I think China will get there sooner. I think a lot of countries will get there before sooner. Uh, so it's not, so the distribution of robo taxis will not be uniform by any means. Uh, absolutely, and, and the, the issue of the number of vehicles we sort of need to find a, 
a slightly different measure to use. Um, I don't know that I should admit this, but my wife and I, we have two driver licenses and we have four cars. And, and our biggest decision is uh, which convertible do we use? I mean, you know, which is like stupid. Uh, it, it's just like, the, the fact is that, that the owning of cars, they, that ownership of cars has nothing to do with mobility. It, it has nothing to do with, uh, with accessibility or, or really improving the quality of one's life. They're toys. Uh, they, they could just as well be on the mantelpiece if, if they could fit. Uh, and so there, there's a certain number of those. Um, and uh, we're very fortunate to be one of those that, that basically has that. Although, you know, the, the car that I drive every day has, uh, is 18 years old, so, uh, or 17 years old. So, uh, that, you know, the age and whatever. So there are some, there are some issues with the number in and of itself. Uh, the issue, which is more important to me, is to look at, at the person miles traveled in how many vehicle miles are they being traveled and what kind of vehicles are they in. Uh, right now, the person miles traveled tends to be equal to the vehicle miles traveled, especially if you consider that the uh, that uh, if, if a family member is traveling with you, uh, that's really uh, not a shared ride, even though there are two people in the vehicle. It's really a, a riding alone. Somebody is just somebody else on for the ride. We aren't going to go to dinner in separate cars. Okay, so we're not taking a car, a vehicle mile off the road if we happen to go uh, to the restaurant together. Uh, so that it, our, our, our counting system needs, needs, to be, uh, needs to have a little change in it. But uh, the idea of, of creating a system just as easy and just as welcoming for us to travel with our neighbor or with a stranger or whatever, as we do in elevators, when it is the appropriate uh, time and the appropriate circumstance so that the system can be used uh, substantially more efficiently, both in congestion, energy, uh, and all the other measures, uh, that's in some sense uh, what would be desired to, to be uh, uh, accomplished by this automation. And, and the fact that now we have algorithms doing this and automation doing this, uh, then it's it's really uh, the same again with the elevator analogy. The algorithms and automation they get us up and down in those elevators. Uh, why can't um, similar algorithms uh, get us across town? Yeah, no, those, those do exist, and you're right. So really, there's there are three steps. There's is is stop driving first of all. That's one step, and then stop owning is a second step, and now. Stop going alone is what you're right. asking for. And that's so the critical one. That's the really, that's the tough and the important one because that's where yeah. the real value of all this comes in, I think. You know, value no, of relief and energy and pollution and all the other things. And, I agree, and, absolutely. And each of those yeah. steps is harder than the previous one. So, you know, we've, we've got to get yeah. the automation to crack before we can get to the stop owning. And then we've got to stop owning before we can crack the share rides. It's, right. It's, they, right. Don't, they won't all come on day one. 
uh, I agree. And so we all have to work to make them happen. But I think one of the things, Byrne, that you really focused on is not only that, but then the implication on land use and the way that we, we organize ourselves and the way that activities uh, are then distributed and how they'll interact. And, and I mean, can you share some of that with us? Well, one of, one of them is um, how we normally think about transit-oriented development. This is the, we wrote a whole chapter about that. And the usual thought is, let's build up something, some, some sensible density around train stations, for example. The purpose is that the people living there that would normally have 2.1 cars can now have just one because they're going to still use that car to do family trips and weekend things. But because, they're, because they can walk to the train station, because it's less than half a mile, uh, they would uh, then always use the train or, or the BRT or whatever to get to work. But those, the, one of the design assumptions is that people are not willing to walk much more than about um, about a half a mile, a little bit less, like 0. 0.4, right. 0. 0.5 miles. Yeah, so that constrains, that constrains the radius. Well, it's, yeah, it's the time. In the so one of the calculations we did is if there were uh, micro transit running around quite frequently, like really within three or four minutes that you could, you could call for or not, but that's secondary. But the issue is that you could create a, instead of a, um, it's about, uh, you know, a, a radius of about a kilometer, you could ch change that to a radius of, I, I can't remember, about six kilometers or whatever, but you create um, together about 16 square kilometers of space. I can't remember the exact numbers that are in the book, but it's actually a small city. You can actually put literally 100,000 people, which, which you cannot do in, in current transit-oriented development because, because the radius is so small. So if you, if you can increase that radius and not have to own a vehicle, still, you still want to keep that vehicle ownership down below one per family if you can, uh, th then you would have ideal small, you know, small cities, which people like, so a lot of people like smaller, but they're still relatively dense because they're around that train station or LRT or whatever. And uh, everyone can get around easily, even in the bad weather, you, you know, because one of the problems is if you have to walk outside and it's raining and so cold and so on, that problem would go away with, with microtransit. And so it's all automated. So that's, that's one of the things that we see is that an opportunity to rethink how we settle areas. Yeah, we well, think that's to, important. To, to go beyond what, what you just said, it, it's not, you, you, you have to make sure that, that some uh, station on, on that line or on a connected line goes to where you're going. And so it's, it's not just uh, where you happen to live, but it's where you happen to be going. And so uh, doing that at the other stations, of course, increases the, the area at which you then can, can uh, capture places at which you're going to, not just the places where you're coming from. And all of a sudden, uh, the connectivity of the whole city increases uh, much more than just the square because you're doing both ends, not just one end. And, and, so uh, and all along. That's, that's, that's really important. important. If, there were, if there were 12 stations along the route and you did that to six of them, I mean, that's, you could build, you could, a city like Ottawa and Montreal, I'm up here in Canada, they're both putting in extensive LRT systems that are 15 and 20 stops. So there's, there, there are major LRT systems. And some of those stops go through areas that are ripe for that kind of development. And those, at least in the case of Ottawa, could probably increase its population by 50 or 70% if they wanted to, um, without creating that jammed up center city that we have here in Toronto. We're all jammed up downtown. We can't move around because everything has to be right downtown. 
and so there's there's an opportunity to still have massive conurbations uh, without everything being in the same downtown, you know, small cluster of towers, which you can't can't move around in anymore. That's that's a case in Toronto. I agree. I, I agree 100%. Yeah. It's sort of, uh, you know, especially the some of the folks who talk about smart cities, it seems like like uh, what they are looking to create are, are you know, enormous cluster of towers uh, every, uh, everywhere or something like that. And uh, I don't know, maybe maybe 50% of the population wants to live that way. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I want to live in a tower. Um, no, I, I, like yeah, the, I like the backwaters uh, of, of uh, the New Jersey swamp. Yeah. Well, a lot of us don't like to live in towers, and some do. Uh, the issue is we live in towers because we can afford it or with a lot of reasons. But we're small before we have families and so on. But I think that so – I don't have a problem with density, but I like to have – I think about sane density. I mean, if you're going to have a million people, uh, let's not have them in one square kilometer. Let's, let's – I and agree. Then, there's a there's a way we don't have to we don't have to take up any more farmland, we have to use what we have more sensibly. So I'm not I'm not suggesting we sprawl into into green territory that we should leave alone. But I am suggesting that what we do now is really there's there's vast stretches of useless things in between clumps of crowded buildings the way Toronto's laid out, that is it's just poor, very poorly organized for the space that we use. And we're growing to 10 million people, and we're going to. And there's not a, a break in that kind of behavior that I can see. I just hope. I just hope that this technology and sharing of vehicles can can be used to address this problem. Well, there is some news that we want to get to as well, and uh, Vern, we welcome your comments here too. Alan, first up, Ford sure. is creating a standalone division, Ford Autonomous Vehicles LLC. And it hopes to attract third-party investment. What are your thoughts? Uh, of course. I mean, if you if you look at it, uh, uh, it seems that uh, the concentration of the uh, um, automated vehicle um, uh, technology uh, um, assets into an entity that in fact uh, can uh, then uh, grow enormously is kind of the way to do it. I mean, we sort of saw it with SoftBank's investment in GM's cruise division. Uh, they haven't completely separated that out, uh, it doesn't seem. And then of course, we, we've had it with, uh, with, with Google Alphabet splitting off Waymo and uh, who knows, maybe, uh, maybe um, Apple will split off theirs and so on. So the, the opportunity to identify a uh, specific targeted investment uh, that, has, that has as its, its fundamental mission uh, the, uh, the delivery of things that uh, really uh, Bernie and I have, have really uh, been talking about at this point. Um, seems to be the way to go, and uh, really to um, to uh, attract capital and capital that can grow. And so, um, um, if you see that you know what Ford has done, you know part of Ford has said hey, we're only going to focus on SUVs and a Ford F one hundred and fifty. As if okay, Ford is going to be the I got a haul stuff company. Um, some of this automation doesn't really fit in with. Uh, 
I got a whole stuff you mean I, you mean I can't buy a level five F one fifty? Well, yeah, I mean you probably will, but you're going to be hauling. I mean, it's going to be out there hauling stuff for you. I, I don't know. I, I, mean, I my hauling stuff days are long gone, and I'm just letting Amazon do it. Not you know, and, and Amazon they they create one that maybe they'll buy up the F four one fifty stuff of of, uh, of Ford and 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 create. I don't know, but you know, it's it's I I think it's a good call by Ford to do it to concentrate their activities, to keep that focus, and to basically put it with a, within a management structure and a, and a goals uh, structure uh, and a profitability structure that's focused on this technology, uh, which is really the, the, the new kid on the block as opposed to the 100-year-old uh, uh, Hall stuff, although maybe the, the Hall stuff is only 50 years old, I don't know. Well, Waymo, in the meantime, has uh, unveiled some new partnerships for the test services in Chandler, Arizona. Walmart and DDR, a company that manages shopping centers. Uh, we've talked before about how the concept of free, autonomous, sponsored transportation might work. It sounds like they're moving in that direction. Uh, yes, and I, I think that if, uh, if Walmart believes this is going to bring customers uh, to Walmart and, and, and get them to buy more, of course, uh, they, they, they would participate. And, and we've discussed it also with respect to, uh, uh, to restaurants and so on. I, you know, I've argued here in Princeton that, uh, that uh, Princeton downtown merchants uh, should be uh, investing in such things because because right now they, you know, they they subsidize parking, they subsidize trips in. Uh, wouldn't it be better to, just to subsidize, organize, create the the environment for uh, just having people come in to shop at my store and you know the the ride uh, on whatever? And you, you could start it off with with Lyft and Uber. You, you know, in some sense, don't even have to wait for the driver. It just becomes once you have the driver list, it's so much easier to manage. And, and also have the opportunity to share rides and, and really uh, build up the, the demand. My, my problem with, with Lyft and Uber is it doesn't scale. It's, it's great for 1% of the trips. I don't think it works for 10% of the trips. We don't have enough drivers. It's too hard to motivate them. You have to, you have to do your promotion. The opportunity to make money on that, I, I don't think exists. But if it's now an algorithm that does it with a with a computer doing the driving, that's all trivial to do. So, yes, it's interesting to see that. Although, although you know, one has to wonder: are we are we really offering driverless rides so that somebody doesn't have to look for parking? Um, isn't there isn't there maybe a, 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 a higher valued mobility uh, that we should be providing? At least focusing on providing first. And of course, uh, you know what I've argued is to really look at the mobility disadvantage um, in, in a particular area, and that's really what we're doing here in Central Jersey. Uh, we're looking at our mobility disadvantage, and we're looking at how we can really enhance their quality of life with this kind of service, and and really want to then design uh, uh, the offerings and to, uh, design the operations 
so as to uh, provide them uh, with uh, the priority service. And when there exists excess capacity, sure, Kornhauser has four cars, yes, he can use it. I'm in the hell with him. Uh, but, uh, but otherwise, uh, let's focus on the folks whose lives could really be improved by this, that can get them to their jobs much more easily, that can get them to shopping, that can get them to, to um, uh, activities uh, that, that enhance their quality of life uh, much more readily. And, and that's really the focus that I would like to see. And so, um, you know, that's basically where my politics yeah. Okay. We, we agree absolutely. And one of the things we did in the book was we imagined a world in which um, government was subsidizing robo rides for the disadvantaged, exactly what you're talking about, Alan, and retail subsidized rides to their own locations, restaurants, and so forth, and employers subsidized rides for their employees instead of providing parking space for them. It's like a parking cash out kind of idea. But if there's enough ride, if there's enough transportation demanders, whether it's government or retail or employers or uh, medical needs or uh, disability needs and so on, there's enough demanders subsidizing trips of all those various kinds, it will make the the jump to robo-taxis a lot easier because the uh, value of owning your own car plummets. It's one of the things we want to do is make the value of, of using A-taxis or robo-taxis rise and the value of owning drop and that gets us to that next stage from which we can we can launch to the stage of sharing. Uh, so absolutely, and, and Bern, it's not you may not even have to subsidize it. You, you just promote it, in, in some sense, is is a form of subsidy. Adopt it, welcome it, um, and, and all those things. And in the end, if one is sharing the ride, the cost of the ride comes down to you know a quarter a mile, you know twenty five cents a mile, or something that's and, and, and my goodness, if, if, if Alphabet or Google has a piece of it, uh, they'll figure out how to monetize your time while you're in there. And yeah, that, that's so true. Happy, thank you. Um, uh, you know, they can afford to pay five, ten billion, twenty billion dollar fines to the EU and still have a, a, a great quarterly reporting. So, you know. Um, <laughs> Uh, no problem there. <laughs> Interesting. No, there's there are so many different ways. To, there's so many different opportunities. So many different ways to look at this. It's this is not just the simple the simple idea of and and Alan, I know you know this. It's not just simple idea of taking the driver out. There's it opens up so many facets of so many possibilities. And you know, to your analogy of of of, of having horizontal travel start to look like vertical travel in the elevator analogy. There's unbelievable numbers of opportunities and i have to say an equal number of dangers uh, all, all, in all of this and that's this is why you know this is why we wrote the book to uh, outline the things that could be done the kinds of thinking and planning that we can start now uh, and again you know the ubers and lyfts are a precursor to what's coming i know they have a driver going to get past one percent i think alan you're right about that uh, uh, but we're talking about getting to 80 percent well we're very much on, on the same page on this and 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 what is good about it is i think at least in terms of what we look at our societal goods uh, uh, good today our definition of that that being environmentally responsive that being uh, utilizing our our road infrastructure uh, effectively uh energy uh, utilization, appropriate energy utilization, 
and, and in some sense, uh, the, uh, what I think could end up being a societally uh, beneficial us interacting with our neighbors in a friendly manner a little bit more. You know, having each of us isolated and not talking to another person and sitting there by ourselves. Uh, the, um, I, I don't know. That's uh, that's not my societal politics. Yeah, no, really I agree absolutely. You know, when it comes to Uber, we've been talking about them. There's a report uh, that the MTA in New York is is blaming Uber for declines in subway and bus ridership in the city. Alan, uh, in the newsletter, it sounds like you're feeling a little sorry for Uber getting some blame here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, look, I, I, it, just, it amazes me, uh, uh, the attack. Here it is, an entity that's providing mobility to a city's citizens, not asking for any subsidy. And if you provide mobility to those citizens, that really improves their quality of life. Saying, oh my goodness, we, uh, we, these are somehow uh, to be scorned? It's, it's unbelievable. You know, the, how most of, of the Lyft Uber trips were taken from the yellow cabs. Did anybody ever ask the question, how many transit rides were yellow cabs taking away from the New York City subway system in the heyday of yellow cabs in Manhattan? I mean, you know, and all of a sudden, because now those trips are being taken by Uber and Lyft, somebody says, oh, they should be on transit. Did anybody say when, when, when they put in the, the shared bike system in New York City, oh, that's going to take away some transit riders? You know, this is, I don't know where it's coming from, but it's not pretty. And and I, I just think, that, yes, uh, of course, some transit rides have been taken away. Some people had to go to the hospital or some trip they had to make. And the only way they could get there was transit. And I imagine it was ugly. And now they have the opportunity to just use Uber and Lyft to make it so much easier and better for them. God bless them. And in fact, you know, in any of these studies, it shows roughly 25% of the people or something like that said that they wouldn't have taken. I would think any mayor of any city would say, oh, my goodness, now my, my, my citizenry is, is having an improved quality of life because of now their ability to be able to go and experience and go to other things. And it didn't cost me anything. And then you have, oh, my goodness, this thing is causing a congestion of our roadways when, in fact, the congestion of the roadways is caused by all of the people driving their own car one at a time on those roadways. Just because somebody finally got a chance to go out there and use those public roadways, too, they're now the score. I mean, I can't believe it. It just, I, you know, I just, I can't believe it. Sorry, Bird, chime in here. <laughs> well, what, uh, so I'm going to tell, uh, uh, this is another situation with Uber. It's the opposite situation. There's a small area up uh, not so far from Toronto. It's very low density, completely the opposite of New York City. And they wanted to put in a bus system, but the bus system would be so 
sparsely used. It would only serve 20% of the population. The little town was called Innisfil. And what they did was they actually hired Uber to come in on a subsidy basis. And every ride that they dropped somebody off at the train station, they got $4. And every ride they took to City Hall, they got $3. And every ride they took to the library, they got $4 and so on, like that. And they gave them a schedule of subsidy. Any other ride that didn't go to those places got a $5 flat um, a discount on their ride. So, so now the entire population of that little town is like 30, it's only 30,000 people. It's a small town, a uh, small area, a small population of a large area, all have access, door-to-door -door access. And to, to your point, Alan, these people can now take a trip they otherwise couldn't take. And it was funny because the mayor of that small area saw an older woman walking along the road. He saw her every day trundling along the road, carrying a couple bags. And she couldn't, there wasn't, there was no bus system and there was no way for her to get around. And that gave him the idea to bring in this Uber idea. So Uber can, Uber can have some major benefits. It depends how you know. That's, that's what I'm saying. You know, what it's doing, the fact, the fact that any of these surveys show in, in a substantial uh, a number, 20% or something like that, of the trips are being made by people who go out drinking at night should have any mayor of any city saying, oh my goodness, this is the best thing that's happened to us since sliced bread. Absolutely. Okay. That is taking people off the road that, that, are, that are a menace to society. And therefore, if this thing does that, irrespective of any other harm these things could do, they're, they're above zero. Okay, absolutely. And, and to have to, to have them being attacked, and now we got to tax them, and we want to run them out of the town. Maybe they should be run out of Manhattan. Okay, I don't know. Manhattan, Manhattan is a unique point in the U.S., and 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 Manhattan needs to go. And Manhattan has a great subway, and I understand. But for every other place, in, including Toronto, which isn't in the U.S., I understand. But. In, you know, these things are really, it's providing a, an increment of mobility. New Jersey Transit should be looking at Uber and Lyft and saying, thank you. Uh, uh, Chicago should be saying, the mayor of Chicago should be saying, our transit system provides X number of rides. But look, uh, we as a city are providing this kind of public rides uh, to everybody and should add the Uber Lyft to that number and say, Look at how many rides we're offering to the public at large. And guess what? Those other ones we're offering, what does it cost us? Essentially zero, as opposed to the subsidy that we've had to put into bus system A or, or light rail B or whatever other things. I, I think it is, this may be coming out of the New York Taxi and Limiting Commission and whatever, and because they're unhappy that they're, the New York uh, licenses are not basically worthless. I, 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 absolutely. I don't know. It, 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 it just it astounds me uh, that, that the public response to this really uh, effective mobility has been provided to people, to at least some who really didn't have any before. Well, here's our proposal. Right out of the book, our proposal of New York City, we didn't name New York City, but our proposal is that Uber be able to do its job in the city at whatever, in whatever way we want, whatever's demanded, and, and for, for a single vehicle, single customer, there would be a road fee. 
For total right. customers, not. But for triple customers, they would be paid. So I'm saying Uber should be paid to take people in the, if, yeah, if yeah, the it, occupancy it, is high. But, 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 but I'd go even further than that. I'd say if you bring your own, if you, you're in your own car and it's just you and your family in the car, you've got to pay too. Okay, why are we only going to why are we only going to tax those that decide to have a chauffeur of a of a Lyft driver as opposed to them that are driving their own cars? What about all no, the people I, from Brooklyn? Agree, agree. I'm for all that too. I, I've been a I've been a road pricer for twenty years. I agree with all that. One difference is one difference is is that Uber's running a business. That's one difference. I'm not saying that make I'm not I'm not saying uh, that uh, shouldn't. Uh, be paid. Uh, but the Chevy dealer is running a business that got that that coerced somebody in Brooklyn to buy a Chevy. Uh, go ahead, never mind. I don't. But there's but, but here's an opportunity. What what the article said, Fred? The article you're talking about said yeah. that the city is agitating to have them take a break or give them one year for the city to sort out what to do. And I think Uber is providing a very important service, and I think it does need to be regulated, but not regulated with a straight up tax. A lot of cities, there's 10 states and seven cities now. The report just came out of Eno yeah. about a week ago, and that's a very yeah, important yeah. report. Yeah. All the different forms of taxation but are all un uneven, unevenly distributed, and unevenly purposed. And there ought to be a, a, a uniform system where there is a, a tax for road use because it's a business tax because you're running a business on the road, and a subsidy for disability rides and for transit desert rides and for multiple occupancy rides and drop off at the train station rides. So if you're if you are giving people the kinds of rides that we want you to give them, then you should be able to you should be because you're replacing the bus system which is heavily subsidized. You should be subsidized. But if you're giving if and you know Alan, I agree with you. We should all be paying road fees. That's also true. But right yeah, now, those of us that are in some sense, gas in some sense, you're not replacing the bus system. The bus system doesn't exist. Why? Because the bus system can't even think of offering the people in Hamilton Township rides to be able to get to the, the Hamilton train you know, station. Well, fifty well, percent of all the transit in North America is in New York City, anyway. So, yeah, New York metropolitan area. Part of that's yeah. North, North Jersey too. Yeah, fifty percent of it. So. Whatever I, it's it just. I think I think that the, that the mayors and the, and the city councils of the cities of this country should should take a look and say, oh my goodness, these folks are providing, are really providing value to our community, and uh, and let, let's cut a little, give them a little slack on this thing. Well, uh, we've been know, talking about no, Uber. Let's tax them. Let's, I mean, really? And and then and then there's there's what's his uh, Schumer from from Pennsylvania has a proposal to fix the uh, for uh, the uh, the gasoline tax. I think that's Schuster. Proposing, not, not Schumer. But... Uh, Schuster, not Schumer. He has a wrong party. <laughs> Thank you, Fred. Oh, my my apology. But but he's proposing uh, a ten cent a uh, ten percent. Tax on bicycle tires uh, to help, you know, uh, save the the highway trust fund. I mean, my goodness, as I put in the newsletter, <laughs> why not also tax shoe leather? I mean, uh, I, are you joking? I, come on, get serious. Or if he taxi spoke, and then he would make more. <laughs> uh, anyway, I don't know. Whatever. 
this is all too much fun. <laughs> On the subject of Uber, uh, they're saying they're going to resume the testing of their self-driving cars in Pittsburgh, but there will be drivers instructed to keep their hands on the wheel at all times. Um, a baby step or what's going on? Al? Well, baby step, they have to do that. They have to go back to that. Uh, but really, uh, uh, they, they have been dealt an enormous blow at a time when uh, they really couldn't afford to have an enormous blow dealt to them on this. And, um, and uh, they're going back basically to step one where, uh, where, where Waymo has just, you know, in Chandler and so on, has just uh, gone out to infinity. And, and, and so I don't know if, if, if Uber's ever going to recover. And um, uh, so, yes, uh, start out that way. They have to, yes collect data that you then can put in your simulations or try to recreate in your closed course um, testing site and, and, and improve your, your, uh, your algorithms. Uh, but, uh, but the fact that, that they're not out there really doing it, uh, which is what um, uh, Waymo is out there doing in Chandler, um, just puts them farther and farther behind and um, uh, boy, do they have a lot of work to do. And, of course, you're talking about the, the horrible fatal crash back in March in Arizona that killed uh, the pedestrian, Elaine Herzberg. We don't know when Uber is going to try to resume testing without an active driver behind the wheel. Well, that's it for this edition. We want to thank Bern Grush for joining us. Bern, where can folks go to learn more about the End of Driving book and, and your work? Oh, that book is uh, published by Elsevier. That's E-L-S-E-V-I-E-R. If you go to Elsevier.com, uh, you only need to look up either the, the expression end of driving, or you can just look up my last name, Grush, uh, and you will find um, the book there. And by the way, there's a discount code. That's, an ex that's a pricey book. The discount code is ATR30. That's a 30% discount. So it's worth typing that in. It's worth 50 bucks. So... Again, it's ATR30, right. and people can uh, go to Elsevier, E-L-S-E-V-I-E-R.com. You can find us at SmartDrivingCar.com on iTunes, Google Play, and more, even on your Amazon Alexa. My tech reports are at Textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for taking the time out to listen. <laughs>